And so the message I have for you this morning is called God Sees You. God Sees You. And I think how many can, um, can recognize that sometimes you don't feel seen? You don't feel noticed. You don't feel significant. You just, just kind of feel like you're just walking through life. I, I can say this. I don't know what it's like to be a mom, obviously. But I, I watch them. I, my wife is one. My mom is one, obviously. Um, I watch moms. Uh, uh, and, and I'm not saying that fathers, fatherhood is easy by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not going to be one of those Debbie Downers that says, oh, dads, we got it so easy. We don't. It's just different, right? It's different. And, and, and moms, uh, listen, I'll be honest, and I tell me and my wife have this conversation all the time. Moms get the brunt end of, of a lot of the, the junk, okay? And uh, I know they're, they're being humble and modest, but, you know, if the moms would say amen, you would, you would know, right? It's, listen, it, moms get the brunt end of, you know, and, and listen, some, a lot of it is the fact that you're everybody's safe space, which sucks, I'll just call it how it is if you don't want to. It, it, listen, there's, there's nothing worse than being the brunt of everybody's garbage when they're going through it. Now, they say, you know, if you just look at psychology alone, it's because people vent and, and take out where they feel the safest to do so. And uh, being a mom, it's not easy because a lot, for a lot of people, from husband to kids to sometimes even just friends, it's the place where people go to lay their garbage down. Being a mom ain't easy. And uh, I was reading this couple of articles just kind of prepping for today, and I, and, and I ran across a, a little snippet of an article that a girl named Nicole Johnson wrote uh, called I Am Invisible. And I want to read just, just a, a quick snippet of this, and it says this. It all began to make sense. The blank stares, the lack of response, the way one of the kids will walk into the room while I'm on the phone and ask to be taken to the store. And, it, and inside, I am thinking, can't you see? I'm on the phone. Obviously not. No one can see if I'm on the phone or cooking or sweeping the floor or even standing on my head in the corner because no one can see me at all. I'm invisible. Some days, I'm only a pair of hands, nothing more. Can you fix this? Can you tie this? Can you open this? Some days, I'm not a pair of hands. I'm not even a human being. I'm a clock to ask, what time is it? Am I a satellite guide to answer what number is the Disney Channel? I am a car to order right around 5.30, please. I was certain that these were the hands that once held books and the eyes that studied history and the mind that graduated, but now they had all disappeared into the peanut butter, never to be seen again. She's going, she's going, she's gone. <laughs> Moms, did you feel that like in the core of who you are? Mom, what time is it? Mom, didn't you forget I've got this practice? Mom, don't you? Why isn't my stuff washed? Why is the house a mess? Mom this, mom that. It's, it's tough. And, and not speaking from a mom, but I mean, really, I mean, all parenting, you, you kind of get in this. Fathers, we feel it too. But it's different. Because my kids know, don't come ask me some of the stuff you're going to ask your mom. Because I'm more blunt. No, go away. My kids don't come and ask me first. They come and ask me last if mom's already got a backbone for that day. No. Maybe dad will say yes this time then. But moms, you bend over backwards. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to my wife uh, say, you know, I drop everything 
I drop everything and go and do and this and that. And, and, and it gets to that place where you just ask, does anybody see me for who I am? Did I, am I just relented back to just what everybody else wants to title me? And, and this is where we all can feel this. Am I, am I just a worker? Am, am I just this? Am I just that? Does anybody actually see me? Today I want to talk about a woman in the Bible that didn't feel, feel seen either. And her name is Hagar. You can find her in the book of Genesis. And the story of Hagar, uh, she is the servant to Sarah, Abraham's wife. And uh, we all know, you know, Father Abraham, right? That guy, father of the faith of, of the Jewish people. And the reality is, is that Abraham was extremely old and had no kids, and a prophet came to, to Abraham and said, listen, you're going to be the father of a whole nation. Could you imagine being like in your 80s or 90s? And God comes down and says, hey, yo, you're going to be the, I mean, <laughs> Bill, you're not 80s and 90s, but, you know, he's, oh, easy, easy, easy. Bill, I'm going to birth a nation out of you and your wife at your age. They'd be like, no! I've done past that portion of life. I get to sugar up the grandkids and send them home. That's my season that I'm in. Could you imagine how Abraham was feeling? I mean, as a, as a dad, you're like, yeah, nations. Could you imagine what Sarah was feeling like? What? No. But nonetheless... They took things into their own hands. How many of, oh, this, this is where it gets real. God promised Abraham and Sarah that they would birth a son and that they would birth a nation from that. And instead of saying, okay, God, in your timing, we will do what you want, they said, it's, it, then we've got to get on this. I'm already old. Let's go, God. And when it didn't happen the way and the when, they decided to take it into their own hands. I don't know what that is, but it is definitely going to die. Listen, I've got one rule in here. You stay out there, you live. You come in here, you die. Not people, though. <laughs> Just so you know. Talking about creepy crawler things, okay? Uh, <laughs> might want to make that known. Um, but listen, so, so here's what happens is they take it in their own hands. And back in the day, you know, when they would have servants, you know, we think of slaves and we think of a certain way and a certain look. But a lot of times when you see the word slave in the Bible, some of it was real, like, you know, slave, slave, like we know it. Some of the times when they use slave or servant, it was actually just a worker, they would actually have a home and they would go home, but they would they wouldn't um, but they were they belonged to that person. They couldn't just go and leave and move or whatever. And so Sarah had a servant, a maidservant named Hagar. And so when this didn't happen the way they wanted to, Sarah had this idea: maybe God intended for me to give Hagar to my husband, and she will have the kid. None of us in this room have ever taken it upon ourselves to force God's hand into something and realize, maybe I should have waited. <laughs> this is not what I wanted. And so 
Abraham marries Hagar, which by the way, you know, God is not for polygamy. I just want you to know when you read the Bible and you go, well, there was a lot of polygamists in the Bible. It was never God's intention. Um, and it always causes issues. And I, no, we're not saying anything about having multiple wives is a problem, but listen, one is enough. Aim, aim, listen, amen. Listen, I love my one. Now, that's about as much as God gave me the ability to handle. Okay? Now, Abraham takes on Hagar as his wife, but he doesn't love her like a wife. He just wants to use her. And he gets her pregnant. And then what happens when Hagar gets pregnant, the Bible says that Hagar starts to treat Sarah differently, and Sarah starts to treat Hagar differently. Duh. Because you force something that God did not intend, and it has consequences. And it says, so Hagar ran away. And this is where we pick up the story and what we'll see and what God is speaking to us this morning. We're going to read Genesis 16, 7 through 14. God, or Hagar runs away and she encounters God when she runs away. And it says this, verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant. Where have you come from, and where are you going? Oh, man, if there are any more powerful, poignant questions that God asks us when we are lost, where did you come from, who are you, and where are you going? And in those moments where we have forced our life to make bad decisions, or we just don't know, and we're just making every decision that we can, we don't know where we're coming from because we don't know who we are, and we definitely don't know where we're going because we are hopeless. And she answers, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Now, if we pause right there, that's, that's, that's like a sweet moment, right? God says, even though this was not the intention, I'm going to give you a son, and I, I'm gonna, you're going to name him Ishmael, and it means that God heard you. <laughs> Let's listen to what God says about this son. This son of yours will be a wild man. <laughs> Next line. As untamed as a wild donkey. You know, at that point, moms are like, take him back, God. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who has spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, I have truly seen the one who sees me. Have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well where she met and encountered God was named Berlaharoi, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. There's so much going on in this set of scriptures, I can't even take a, like, a whole Sunday to unpack it, but let me give you my quick synopsis. Um, the interesting part is there's two different things that are happening. There is the dynamic of she is running away, and she is so lost in who she is, and God encounters her, and he says, I hear you. I hear you in your circumstance. I hear you in your pain. I hear you in your struggle. And you're going and, and to have a son, and you're going to name him this, and listen, he's going to be a terror. 
That is literally what God said. Now, now, let me bring a little bit of quick history into this. Ishmael is what we can track back to the nation of Israel, or nation of Islam. Now, doesn't that make sense when you read that he will be at war? He'll be, he'll, he'll fight everybody. He, God's, listen, when you look at this world and you see all the history and all the things, God brings it back to, to biblical times because even in Islam, they, they worship Allah, which is really just another word for God, and they believe a lot of the Old Testament that we believe, and they will tell you that it points back a lot to uh, this Ishmael. But there's two different dynamics. There's what's going on in Hagar's life and what God promises for her descendants. And it's almost like she is able to compartmentalize. You're telling my, my kid's going to be crazy, and I'm going to put that on the back burner. But more, more importantly, what I heard was, God, you see me. God, God what I hear is that you care for me. I, I may not be able to change what you're doing inside of here and the kid that's going to come out of here and, and all that's going to happen in the nations after me. But what I heard in this moment is I'm no longer running aimlessly in this life. You see me. See, her circumstances don't change, but the encounter with the authentic God changed her. God put it bluntly. Listen, you're going to have some really bad days ahead because your kid's going to be crazy. Okay. He's going to want to fight everybody. He's going to be wild. I see you. I see you in your struggle. I see you in your pain. I see you in your worst days, and I see you in your best. And it may not have changed her circumstance, but it changed, it changed her outlook. She is trapped in a system where she feels as though she is invisible. She has no rights, no dignity, no freedom or choice, and she has had enough. It would seem to me that Hagar doesn't know what she wants. She knows what she doesn't want. And how many of us live there? What do you want? I don't know, but I know what I'm sick of. Right? Uh, I, I don't know where I want to go. I don't know who I want to be, but I know what I'm tired of. And it's not a bad place to be if we understand how to get out of there. If we understand how God wants to use those moments like he used the moment with Hagar. She doesn't want to be treated as a non-person, as an invisible person. She doesn't, she, she doesn't realize what her greatest need is until she meets the God who meets that need. And she names him. In verse 13, the verse we didn't read, Elroy, the God who sees me. I wonder what name you would give God if you had a chance to name him. Think about that. If you had, if you had an encounter with God and were able to name God, what would that name look like to you? The God who loves, the God who comforts, the God who guides, the God who forgives, the, the God of second chances or 15th chances. Whatever you choose would actually say as much about your need as it would about the character of God. Because it is through our need that we experience God in our deepest way. Hagar, who might feel insignificant and misunderstood, is actually very, a very significant person. Hagar is the, has the longest conversation of any woman in the Bible with God. How cool is that? Hagar also, in the whole Old Testament, uh, Hagar is an Egyptian maid and is the only person in the Bible who gives God a name. Up to this point, God gave himself names. 
He introduced himself to the children of Israel as Elohim, the creator, Yahweh, the covenant maker, El Shaddai, the Almighty. But he named himself to the children of Israel. And Hagar is the first person to give God a name. He, she says, this is Elroy, the God who sees me. Out of her desperation and out of her need, she met the authentic God. And that's what I want you to hear today. I have a couple of points, thoughts that I want to give you about this scenario. And the first one is this. It's the very title, God Sees You. If you hear nothing else and you walk through nothing else, I want you to hear this. God sees you right where you're at. He doesn't need you to fake it. He doesn't need you to act a certain way. He doesn't need you to have it all together. Hagar was a mess. She didn't know who she was. She didn't know what her purpose was, and she didn't know where she was going, but she knew that she had had enough, and she had to run away, and she ran away, and she met God in desperation in the middle of nowhere, and God says, I see you. We all have fundamental needs to be seen. This is going to sound so stupid, but how many remember Stuart from Mad TV? Right? Okay, now am I just dating myself? Some of y'all need to get on YouTube and look up Stuart from Mad TV. Look at me. Look at me, Mom. Look, look what I can do. I wanted to play a clip, but none of them really were all that appropriate for church because um, he's in, like, banana hammocks and all sorts of stuff. And, yes, I just said that in church, okay? Uh, but, or he's, you know, his mom keeps on, like, touching his, you know, boy parts. And I'm like, that's not okay for church. Um, but he's always trying to do stuff to get his mom's attention. Okay. And, and, and by the way, he's not like a little kid. It's like a grown man that's like Stuart, um, and, and his mom is, you know, raising him. And, and, and all the time, he's doing stupid stuff. And I just remember the one episode where he's always like, look what I can do. Look what I can do. Mom, look at me. And now that's called a dance, I think, right? They just, you know, he's like, look what I can do. It's Stuart. We all have a fundamental need to be seen. I remember being in middle school, and we just moved to California, and looking out of my room, uh, I could uh, look out uh, my, our, our house where we moved into. Uh, the train tracks were behind it. There was open fields, and we were kind of on the backside of, of uh, the city. And I would just look out, and you know, I'd catch the sunsets and the sunrises out of my room, and, and I would just look out out of the vastness of my room, many nights wondering what my purpose was and where God is. I know I'm not the only, I mean, it is, I think, natural for us to, to look outside and stare out into this great openness and go, somebody made this, but who is it? What is my purpose in this vastness of this world? And do you even see me, God? Does God see me? Does he know me? Because it's easy to say, well, of course, God loves all the children of the world, and we make little songs and cute things. But when it comes down to actually our emotions and what we're walking through, man, it's a different story to believe that God sees me. God sees me. In my darkest moment, he feels my pain. He knows my struggles. He knows my hurt. But he's also the same God that knows my joy. Has given me purpose. But so many times we can't get past the first segment to get to the second. 
like Hagar. We run and, and we're like, God, where are you? And I'm telling you today, if you hear nothing else, God sees you right where you're at. No matter what you're walking through, God sees you. And if you don't feel it, I want you to believe it inside, the, inside your faith aspect. I want you to hear this and, and just hold on to it. You may be in a place that seems hurtful and dark, but God sees you. We want to be seen. This is why I believe popularity is so important to young people. Popularity really has less to do with the, the, the people that are popular, more with the fact that we don't want to feel insignificant. I mean, honestly. And it's not that I preach against popularity. I just, I've dealt with teenagers too long in my life to, to know that popularity means absolutely nothing. It actually damages more people than it helps. Peer pressure gets them into things they don't want to do. Makes them become somebody that they're not. Makes people feel like they're not worthy of people's love and affection or care or friendship. All for you to graduate high school and it mean absolutely nothing. And, and all those that have graduated can say amen because we know that. Because we know that once you graduate high school and you go your own way, you may have a handful of friends that you know from high school and you may stay close with, but for the most part, most people could care less who the jock was, who the cheerleader was, who the geek was, who the band nerd was. Nobody cares. We just don't. We care about who you are, not what you've been. We just want to be seen. That's why we do some things that we do. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is when uh, uh, Samuel was sent to go find a new king because uh, um, King uh, Saul was being a, a, a crazy dude. And that's where David wasn't even in the list. Like, this is, how, this is how people reject us and yet God accepts us, is that he went to, to David's house, David's father's house, and he said, you, the line of kingdom is going to come from this household. Could you imagine that dad being all proud? Like, yeah, let me go get my boys. Hold on. And he goes, gets 11 out of the 12 boys. He lines them up from age, stature. Height, they're all, oh, I'm king, I'm kingness. He walks up to Blake and is like, stand up, Blake. Oh, this is my son, Blake. Look at him. He could kill a bear with his own hands. In his sleep. Broad shoulders and all. He looks like a king. Right? He's like, can I please sit down? Yes, you can. Because listen, we, this is what we, we want. A, we want a man's man to take care of us. We, we want a guy that looks like he could just, you know, tear us to pieces. And, and, and I, I feel like Blake probably could. Um, and, and, and Samuel looks at him and goes, oh, he's cool, but no. Well, how about this son? Could you, I mean, like he is literally going down the list. Like, what about this guy? What about this guy? What about this guy? And he gets to the very end and, and, and Samuel looks at his father and he says, do you have anybody else? Oh, I have this other son. But he, there's no way he could be king. He's the youngest. He's a shepherd. You don't want him. And he says, I'll wait. Somebody go get him. And, and this, is, this is where this whole story comes from. 
is that is that God is telling Samuel, don't just look for what looks good. Look for what's right. There's significance in the things that humans miss. There's significance in the inward appearance of what God is looking for. And we can look at the outward all day long, and that's what Instagram and Facebook and social media and, and sports and all of that stuff, that's all it does. It says, look at the outward appearance. But we don't look at the character of people. We don't look at the heart of people. We don't look what they're struggling with and the things that God is doing in them. And God is saying, I look at the inward because the outward is going to fade. God sees us, but not the way people do. And maybe not the way you want him to. And so you miss it. You miss the way God sees you. You miss the way and what God is calling you. You miss the fact that he's calling you child and purposed. Because you're looking for acceptance in ways that he does not care to give it to you. Can I tell you what helps unlock all of this is prayer. If you look at Matthew 6, 6, it says this. But when you pray... Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Now there's a whole other message that I could give on prayer right there, but I'm not going to. The point is that God is saying this. God sees your heart in the private moments, and he's going to reward you because he sees what, what you're going through. So my second thought is that not only does God see you, but to be seen has some purpose and some meaning. The second thought is this, to be seen is to be understood and encouraged. And how many want to be understood and encouraged, right? Man, I just don't feel seen. I just don't feel cared for. I just wish somebody would hear me. Psalms 33, 13 through 15, the Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne, he observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts so he understands everything they do. That should bring you some comfort. God isn't just this far off God that's like shooting lightning bolts down every now and then to keep you in line. The Bible says that even though he is in the heavenlies, he's looking down and he knows your heart because he made your heart. And he un understands everything you are going through. Remember, with, with that in mind, Psalm 33 and Ryan, remember what Matthew 6, 6 says, that he sees what's done in secret and he will reward. Well, what reward is, does he have for us when we are seeking him and we are putting him first and we are going to him in prayer and we understand that? The reward is he gives us his presence and he gives us his pleasure. And so many times, like Hagar, we sit in the unsurety, and we sit in the fear, and we sit in the scared, and we sit in what everybody else has told us we are or we should be, and we never get to the place where we say, God, will you just give me your presence? Will you just shower me with your love? Because I, I need you. I, I, I've, I've tried man's love. I've tried the appraise of many. I've tried to ex the acceptance of others. But none of it, all of it has failed. And so, God, I'm coming to you. And like Hagar, I just want to see you. I want to know your presence. God understands you. And he wants to instruct you and encourage you, but you have to be willing. See, here's the thing, is it's not just, okay, I'm going to leave it in God's hands. There's, there's, a, there's an aspect where we, we have to work together with God. You have to quiet the noise so that you can hear the voice of God. You, you have got to shut the negative voices off. Sometimes they're your voice. 
Sometimes you are your worst enemy. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be loved enough. I'll never be. And you become a self-fulfilling prophecy by becoming exactly what you fear to be. Because you tell yourself it all the time. You will do what you tell yourself. Even if it's in, a, in an opposite way. Well, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. Well, But it's at the forefront of your mind. So guess what you do? The thing you say you're not going to do. And I'll attest to this. With sin... When you go, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to cuss, I'm not going to this, I'm not going to whatever it is for you, and you make it the purpose, guess what you go back to? The very thing that you're comfortable with, which is the purpose. Instead of, I'm going to block that noise, and I'm going to set a new course, I'm going to say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to my secret place, and I'm going to spend some time with God. Maybe I'm going to shut the noise of the music that hasn't brought me any peace in my life, and I'm going to insert some music that will. I'm going to throw some worship music on or some Christian music on or, you know, hey, maybe you need to take the Caleb's 30-day challenge, uh, you know, where you listen to nothing but, you know, I would say listen to nothing but Christian music. There's too many options other than Caleb, by the way. Um, but Caleb isn't a bad thing. But Spotify, you could throw on Christian music on Spotify, and it just, it'll just, it won't stop. It won't stop. Until you tell it to. We have, we have one of those little um, CIA listening devices in our kitchen. Um, you know what I'm talking about. And, and, uh, and, and it, it has Spotify attached to it. And we just tell Spotify, play worship. And if we don't tell it to stop it, or the power goes out, one of those two, it won't stop. Sometimes it's a little creepy. Three in the morning when you get up and go down to the kitchen and you're like, oh, God, I didn't bring my gun down. <laughs> What's in my kitchen? You just realize it's Spotify and the CIA singing worship music together. CIA is definitely not liking my house because they hear way too much Jesus and too much music. That's what really the only thing it's there for is play me music. But we want to be heard, and, and, and the problem is we want to be heard and we want to be understood and we want to, we want to have encouragement, but we, we get so stuck like Hagar. I don't know how to do it, so I just run away. And I'm telling you, running away is not your option. We have to stop the things that are, are, are dragging us down, stop the things that are constantly making us who, who we don't want to be. And we have to turn to the things that will. And this is where it says, go to your private place and pray. God understands you and wants to hear you. You got to stop letting the lies in your life speak louder than the truth of God. Words are always spoken over your life. And I want you to, this is a very important part that I was thinking about when I was putting this together. Words, everybody, every last one of you have words spoken over you. Every day. From your spouses to your kids to your, the coworkers to your friends, people are speaking over you. And sometimes it may sound like sarcasm, but, but can I tell you that sarcasm absolutely affects our psyche Listen, it's one thing, and, and, and you got to know those lines. It's, I'm not saying all sarcasm is bad because joking around with friends where you know where the line is, is one thing. But when you step over that line and it's, it's sarcasm that hurts, sarcasm that, that puts a wedge between friendships, sarcasm that, makes, that, that, that drags people and puts people down, that, how is that biblical and how is that godly? When the Bible says that, that how can fresh water and salt water come from the same spring, what he's talking about is not, he doesn't care less about the water. He cares about what's coming out of your spirit. So how can you say, man, I love you, God, and Blake, you're a bumbling fool. He's just getting picked on today, okay? I could look to my right and look at Chris. Either way, you know what I mean? Like, 
<laughs> go, go, go somewhere else. But it's the reality of how many have ever been picked on by a friend and walked away feeling discouraged? Oh, yeah. And they hit you with the, like, what, what I call, like, the God card. Oh, you know I'm just playing. Okay. I know you're playing, but I know that my fists want to play, too. Because you, you, you make me feel a certain way even though you're just joking around and you think that that's just supposed to heal everything. But you, you, you've spoken to the very core of who I am and you said I'm this, but I don't feel like that. And so, so I, I'm encouraging you, watch your sarcasm. Watch how you speak to one another. Build each other up in love because words matter. We want to be, to be seen as to be understood and encouraged. And so, so often we don't have that. We don't conversate to understand one another. We conversate to beat each other. Think about it. You know, I, well, I, I love debating and I love having those conversations. But can I tell you that I've learned a, a, a long time ago the difference between when I want to win a fight and when I actually want to learn. And I have to check myself because I'm a debater. It's, it's who I am, um, and, and I like to win. And so when I get in those moods, I have to recognize, and, and I try to recognize, am I doing this and making and building people up, or am I just trying to win something? Am I, am I speaking life, or am I just trying to win? Am I understanding where they're at? I love having conversations with people that I don't understand. I did this. Uh, I do this often in the police station because I am absolutely an anomaly. I'm not jaded. <laughs> I'm not bitter at the world, and and I hate to say that, but there's you know, unfortunately, if you're in that profession long enough, um, just like military, me and Chris have had this conversation. You just get jaded at what all the negative you've seen, and um, and I still care about people, and I still think that the best is in people. It's just who I am. And uh, I've had people that uh, politically think different, uh, uh, different uh, uh, around me, and, and, and they think that, I, you know, pe most people want to run away from those conversations. You know, what do you don't bring up in, in, in family uh, uh, dinners? Religion and politics. And I'm like all for it. I'm like, let's bring them up, both of them at the same time. <laughs> what do you think about Jesus and the president? Like, at the same time, let's just do it. <laughs> And, and people, and, 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 and most people can't go there because it, it, they, they cannot separate emotion from just conversation. And, and I love it, so I just, I dive into it. But one of the things that I've learned, and maybe this will help some of you just on a, on a natural level, don't allow your voice to get raised with your emotions. And that's hard. It's not like it's easy to get up here and say that. But the reason why people get in, in, in arguments is because they get passionate. When they get passionate, their voice goes up. I'm not mad. Well, you haven't told your voice that. And so we just, we go, we get there. And so I try to tell myself, just stay calm and just talk. I brought, we brought up abortion at uh, the police station with, with a lady who absolutely disagrees with uh, my viewpoint, which is that all life matters, uh, even the little tadpole that's made two seconds ago. Um, and, uh, and, and I just simply asked her questions that she couldn't answer. And I wasn't trying to make her feel bad. I wasn't trying, but all I was trying to see is I want to understand why you think that, and I want you to hear my viewpoint on what, what God sees. 
And I asked her questions about the fact of, you know, insignificance and, 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 and the significance of a human life and all this stuff. And it was interesting because she would get to the point where she would say something, and then I would just ask, based off of what she said, I'd say, okay, well, if that's the case, then this. And she paused, and she's like, ooh, the words that are about to come out of my mouth are going to sound horrible if I answer the way that I want to. I, it was all over her face. And then she started the next line with, this is going to sound bad. And I said, I know. Because you have no other option but to make a decision. I understand, but this is what I'm going to think. And we just want to be understood. We want to be heard. Whether it's politics and religion or whether it's just, I'm trying to find who I am. Will somebody listen to me? We want to be encouraged in life. The third thought is this, is that to be seen is to be significant. William Tamia said this, you don't really understand human nature unless you know why a child on a merry-go-round will wave at his parents every time around. And as I say this, some of you are thinking about that experience. And why his parents will always wave back. Why do we need to be seen? Why do we long for God who sees and, and what, uh, what difference does that make to us? It makes all the difference in the world because to be seen is to be significant. It's to know our roots. Think about it. Most kids on a merry-go-round do not just wave randomly at strangers. Hi, guy I don't know. Hello, guy I don't know again. No, they get on a merry-go-round and they look for their parent. And then they give the cheesiest grin and the... Like they're washing the car. And if you don't believe that, I've been a grown adult doing the same thing. Get on Dumbo and look for the family members down there. <laughs> or for you that like sketchy carnival rides. I, I don't do those. Okay? I just don't. You know, that looks like a tetanus shot waiting to happen. I'm not getting on it. Okay? But I trust Dumbo. Okay? And you will. Listen. Nothing greater than to get on Dumbo, go all the way up, and look for the people that you know. Why? Because in the, in the middle of a park where there are thousands of people, you feel seen. It's human nature. God, there's, there's billions of people in this world, and yet you see me. You, you gave me purpose. You put me here on this earth at this time. You could have been born in any generation. You could have been born in any country. You could have been born to any other family or place, and you chose this moment. So the question is, why, God? What is my significance? To know you were made and out here on earth for a purpose and to live that out. Psalms 139, 16 through 18 says this. You saw me before I was born. I just want that to sink in. It wasn't even that God was surprised by you. Like, ah! How'd you get here? Before you were created, God saw you. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are his thoughts about me, oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you are still with me. Listen, some of you need to write that scripture down, and you need to read it to yourself every stinking morning. 
Am I significant? Absolutely. Because before your parents even conceived you, you were thought of. Before you ever even entered this world, God saw the days of your life and saw the purpose and the significance you could have. But you don't understand, I'm just a, it doesn't matter what your job title is. Your significance is not attached to what you do. Your significance is attached to the character of who you are. Significance significance is that God knows you. He formed you. He He thinks about you. And he doesn't just think about you once. He wasn't just like, oh, yeah, they're, they're kind of a cool person. It says that his thoughts are so numerous about you that they can't even, like, go to the beach and pick up a handful of sand and then try to count that. He says the thoughts about you are more than the number of sand total. That's how God thinks about you. You're significant. You have purpose. What will you do with that? What will you do with the thought that God finds you significant and wants you to live a life of joy and of purpose and of peace? Changing the world right, right now maybe raising kids. You know, I, I remember in my younger pastoral days, I'd, we're going to change the world. We're going to go to Africa. We're going to go to Guatemala. Man, I want you to stand in your schoolrooms and I want you to proclaim Jesus. I was a youth pastor. I was a little crazy. Still am a little crazy, as you could tell. But but listen, this is what we like. This is what we want. We want pastors that rile you up. And Chris is like <laughs> so nervous right now. You're, you're good. Listen, I've done way worse and way sketchier. Okay, um, this is not my first rodeo. Um, but listen, here's the reality: is is we want like we love pastors that rile us up, get us excited. Ooh, preach, preacher, get me excited. Come on, let's go. Now that could break. I'm fat. Um, <laughs> you're, rolling, you're, you're holding the wrong part because I need you underneath because I'm fat. Um, so, and that is probably some chintzy plywood, okay? Uh, but here, here, we want that. We want the pastor that goes, go into all the earth and proclaim the name of Jesus, which none of that is false. We want this. We want the pastor that riles you up and goes, you have significance and you have power and you have purpose and you have this and you're going to go change the world. And you're like, yeah! And then you go out to the world and you're like, people, I, I, I don't have significance. God, I'm not a good speaker. What are you talking about? That guy's crazy. That guy's not, he wants me to go where and do what? Nah, I'm good. And all of a sudden, the excitement and the ramped up purpose of, of being in church and being the emotionalism of, yeah, I want to go and change the world, hits you in your face because you realize, I don't have any training. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to talk to anybody. And then the devil hits you with some real big lies. You're not worthy to talk about God. Nobody will even believe that you love Jesus. And you go, check, please, I'm out. I'm telling you that maybe changing the world is raising your babies in a world that doesn't know Jesus and you do your best to show them Jesus and they change the people around them. Maybe changing the world is going, showing up every day at, at your job and showing them godly character even when you don't like your boss or even when it's a hard job and you show up and, and you live a life lined up with the purpose of God. Maybe, maybe changing the world is, is being a good neighbor and friend. 
See, changing the world can look very insignificant to a lot of people, but it can mean everything to God when you follow his lead. Being significant, we sometimes we, we always put this massive label to it, but the reality is, is that it's consistency and godliness that is changing the world. And it leads to his presence and his purpose. We chase significance when all we really need to, need to do is chase God. Stop chasing significance because when you find God in his presence, you'll find significance. Let me, and, and before I hit my final last thought as we close, I, I'll, I'll give you a personal example. And I, and I know I say this and it's like beating a drum, but I want you to understand that when, when you come from an environment that where church looks a lot different and church is a lot different and you come from a bigger uh, city and a, and, and a bigger church environment and God says, move to Camden, Arkansas and start a church and you get all excited and, and you go to Alabama and they train you and they're like, hey, you're going to start a church and you're going to change the world and you're going to have hundreds of people. You're like, yeah, let's do this. You move to a town that you don't know anybody and, you, and you're just like, I've, I've got the spirit of God in me and they're, they're just going to love it. And you realize that really they, they just think you're a fruitcake and nobody wants to follow you. Hello? But that's the reality. And then you start to get like in, in, in a purpose and a plan and you're starting to meet people and, and they're starting to go, okay, you're not so bad. And, and, they, and, and you attach yourself to people and you're like, let's go. And, and you go and then you attach yourself to the next person, let's go. And you get going and church looks good. And then the, God's like, watch this, COVID. If you don't think that I haven't walked through insignificant moments in my life in the last five years, I've asked God many a times, can we just start fresh and do this all over again? God says, I have you right where you're at. Stop looking at Instagram and every other church to find your significance because I put you there for people that need you. I'm building a church that it doesn't need to be thousands deep. If you'll just trust me, the people will arrive because they're looking for the authentic. God's brought me on a process of what significance looks like because significance doesn't look the way that man looks. It looks at the heart the way that God looks. And I wouldn't want to do life with any other people, any other place. And it leads me to my last point. And Hannah, you can come up here. To be seen is to be free. I need to exercise before I preach. I'm exhausted today. To be seen is to be free. When we know the God that sees us, it allows us to live in freedom. When we don't know that God, then we stay bound to the things that are comfortable. Mm. When we don't know God purposely and personally, and we will stay bound to what everybody else wants us to do and what everybody else wants us to look like. But when we know God, when we encounter God, it doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what other people think. We find our purpose. And is it easy? Absolutely not. Is it overnight? Sometimes, not always. Most of the time, it's not. And I want to end with this, this two, two or three uh, sets of scripture, or two sets of scripture about David and when this happened. See, David, he found freedom. How many think King David is a pretty cool dude? He's written about a lot in the Bible, right? I love him. Here's the thing. When did David find freedom? When he found God's presence. It wasn't when David found kingship. It wasn't when Samuel showed up and said, you're going to be king one day. 
He's like, okay. Anoint him with oil. What does he do? Takes him from his family, puts him underneath King Saul. King Saul wants to kill him. But he doesn't find significance. He doesn't find freedom. It's not on the battlefield with his scars and his stories. It's not in the women. David had many. It's not in the power and authority that he had. It was in, his, in God's presence. How do I know that? 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16. But as the ark of the Lord, a.k.a. the presence of God, entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, David's wife, Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. Think about what that just said. Say that David's wife saw David coming into the city with the presence of God. David was so overwhelmed with the presence of God in his life. He was dancing and jumping and shouting. He was, he was excited. And his wife wasn't excited for him. It says that she held contempt for him. How dare you make us look like fools? How dare you put our livelihood on the line? My friends are watching you. That's what her thoughts were. And you go just a few verses down. Verse 21 and 22 says, David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your... Now, this is like, this is some shade that he throws at her. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. See, when you find freedom in God's presence, when you seek him in your everyday, when you find purpose is fulfilled in being seen by God and living a daily life to honor and please him, then only will you find true freedom. You should go back, and, and I encourage you, go back and read 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6 because David did it wrong the first time when he found the presence of God. He, he, did, he took it for granted. But the second time he found the presence of God, the, the presence of God overwhelmed him so much it changed his whole life. He literally, the Bible says that he danced into the city and he was stripping his clothes off in praise. <laughs> now, he wasn't naked. Like, like we try to like make it more than what it is. He was a king, so he had multiple layers on. He was stripping his kingship off because it only belonged to God. He was stripping what everybody else thought of him off. This is my king. He has to act a certain way. This is my wife. She has to act a certain way. This is my husband. He has to act a certain way. This is my, my co-worker. They, they should act a certain way. You should, you should know better. You should do this. You should do that. You should be this person. You should stop acting like that person. And God says, I have defined you, and I have designed you, and I am speaking life into you. And so when you find my presence, all of that fades away, and you start stripping off the world's identity of you, And you trust in what God is speaking over you. And he tells his wife, pretty much like this is my paraphrasing, this isn't the, in the Bible. Either get on board or get off, but this is who I am. 
And if you think this is undignified, if you thought that was undignified, just wait. David's tabernacle is the one that's spoken of in Revelation. It says that that's the tabernacle that's going to be built. That's the tabernacle that's sought after. Why? Because David's was the first in the Old Testament that was open air. Anybody could see the Ark of the Covenant. Before that, if you saw that, you died. David opened up open air worship. He said, oh, you think that's undignified? Just wait till I tear down what everybody thinks of the tabernacle. And I say God's presence is available to anybody and everybody. David found freedom when he found God's presence. And like David, nobody will be able to shame or change you or take it away. Because seeing, being seen by a living God is better than being seen by a thousand people playing to your emotions. God sees you in your Hagar moments and he draws purpose out of them. In his presence, you see the God who sees you. As we end this morning, we go about our way and we go celebrate moms and go to lunch and all of that. I want you to hold on to something. That it's not in your good moments that God sees you and isn't proud of you. God sees you in your Hagar moments. When you've lost your stuff and you don't know what to do. Because it's in those moments that God comes to you and says, here's your option. Do you trust me? nothing else has worked and you've tried it all and you've, and you've tried to give yourself an identity and when you've tried to make something of your life and when you've tried to become everything that you thought everybody else needed and it didn't work and you ran from it, now, here I am in your Hagar moment. I'm letting you know I see you. And I'm proud of you. Here we are. What are you going to do with it? You, you can run. Continue to do what you, what, you, what you think you know to do, which is she didn't know where she was. She didn't know where she came from. She didn't know where she was going. But she left there with purpose. She was still going to be a single mom, raising a hellion of a child. Circumstances didn't change. But her perspective did. Because the God of the universe sees me. He knows me by name and he's given me purpose to live in those moments. And so now my, my circumstances don't change, but how I address them, they do. How I live for them, they do. Because now I, I'm not wandering around aimlessly. I may, I may not be able to define my history, but I can tell you where my future is and it lies in Jesus. Whatever he wants of me. There's a quote that I'll, I'll butcher to end because it's not in front of me and I didn't write it down, but there's the, the one, and, and honestly, I could say whoever said it, and Martin Luther King Jr. said it. I don't know. Somebody said it. Said that if you're going to be a street sweeper, be the best street sweeper you can be. Why? Because it's not the job that gives you your identity. It's the God that tells you how to live that does. I want to do the best with my life that I possibly can because I only get one chance to make a difference. I'm like Hagar, I want to know that, the God, that God sees me. I'm living in a, in a life that has purpose. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that this message, it reaches every one of us on some level. Maybe one thing I said sticks out, but God, it's your words. It's not mine. And so um, I pray, Holy Spirit, you do what you do. 
to encourage, equip, challenge, and change us. God, you see us. God, maybe our circumstances aren't going to change. Maybe the bills are still there and, 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 and the relationships that are strained are still there, but your word teaches us how to get out of all of those, teaches us how to trust you and rely on you with those. Really what we're chasing after, God, is significance and, and we've looked at it in all the wrong ways and we look for it in all the wrong people. And so God, we come to you and like Hagar, we don't know where we were at, we don't know where we're going, but we're trusting you now because we know that we've seen you and you've seen us. Elroy, God who sees, sees me in my best, sees me in my worst, and is calling me out from a world and a, and, a, and a life of lies where the enemy has tried to keep me from living a godly purpose. That God, we're going to do like Matthew 6 and we're going to get into the secret place and we're going to seek you and we're going to trust you and we're going to listen to your voice that directs and guides us. Because in there, is found significance. In there is found where we are understood and we are encouraged. And God, in your presence is where we find freedom. Apart from you, we're lost. And with you, we start to take the steps and the process of progress of faith. If you're a mother in this room, I, I just want you to stand. I want to pray for the moms today. Moms, God sees you. In everything that you've done, God sees you. In the seasons of insignificance where you go, what am I doing? God sees you. What you don't know is in all of those moments, God has been building purpose, faith. So God, I pray over our moms here at Freedom Church, I pray your hand over them. I pray your safety over them. God, protect them from the lies of the enemy that says that they aren't good enough because God knows they rely on you, they will always be good enough. They trust in you, they are always good enough. Because you find significance and you define purpose and you define godliness. And so God, I pray that over them. That God, that you would build up their faith and encourage them in their season that they're in, whatever season that may be, wherever level of faith they may be. That God, that you would pour your love and your purpose and your passion over them. God, that you would fill them with your grace and your mercy and that God, they would leave here knowing that they had an authentic moment with you. Holy Spirit, guide and lead them to be the strong moms that you have called them to be cherished and beloved, encouraged because they can only be the mom to the people that you have given them. So we bless them today. We bless them in your name, Jesus. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and equip them for the life ahead of them and fill them with your love. The words to speak, wisdom in the decisions that they make for their families. We love you, Father. We're so grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 